Thank you to our worship team for leading us this morning. It's always a blessing and it uplifts my spirit. Special thanks to Grant and Nick and Carolyn as well. Give them some love on the chat. Let's clap for them. It's good to have them back. We're thankful for the ways that they bless us uh, with their gifts. We are starting a new series called Fresh Hope, where we're thinking about uh, how we could have some fresh hope right now to see our lives with new eyes. And it's going to be coming from First uh, John, which is not the Gospel of John, but it's written by the guy who wrote John, if that's uh, not confusing at all. It's toward the end of your Bible. It will only take you about 20 minutes to read the entire thing. So I would love it if over the time of this series, we'll be doing it over the next couple months that you would just read 1 John as often as possible. There's some fantastic themes that are in it. And I would just highly encourage you to just dwell there over these next couple months because I know that it will be a blessing for your life. It's been a blessing for me to prepare for this series and to think about some really important themes about what it looks like for us to live with the perspective that I believe Jesus calls for us to live with in the world. The book of 1 John functions a bit like a sermon. And so nothing's more exciting than preaching about six or seven sermons about a sermon. Some of you are like, couldn't we just read this, Brian? Nah, you could have, and it may be better. But I hope that we will understand what it is that John is, is teaching us here as we dwell into it. One thing that I want to focus on as we continue in this series is, I have to be honest, at times, I think my imagination is much easier for me to use when it comes to negative things than it is for good things. I so appreciated Chance's prayers. He talked about God releasing us from our fears, all the things that, that hold us back. I'm really good at playing out my fears and letting them start as just a small little thing and then becoming this huge monster in my mind. I love my friend's quote. He says that 99% of the things you're afraid of will never even happen. And I think that's true. I'm really good at looking at the world around me and thinking about a problem and expanding it and letting it grow. And I think one thing that John challenges us to do is what if you could use your imagination for good? What if instead of you starting out with a small thing and making it bigger and bigger when it comes to fears and insecurities, what if you could choose to say, I'm going to use my imagination to see possibility, love, hope, and joy, and I'm going to let my mind sit in that space. John begins this sermon with a, a challenging word about basically proving that he has interacted with Jesus. And there are times in all of our lives when we need to say, you know, prove it. You know, when you're talking with somebody, I think that's definitely true in my family. My wife, Mandy, says never react to what a shackman says the first time. You have to sometimes pause for just a minute. When Mandy first met my mom, she was sitting with, with her longtime friend, and uh, my mom said, well, uh, Phyllis here is pregnant. And Mandy didn't know what to do with that. She wasn't sure if she was pregnant or not. This is literally the first meeting that Mandy has uh, with her future mother-in-law and a woman who's very important to her mother-in-law. And Mandy just stood there and said, uh, congratulations, because she wasn't sure exactly. And Phyllis played it very well. So she's learned to be careful about it. That's true of me at times as well. I just heard 
uh, Jewel come up on our uh, Spotify station yesterday. And one of my jokes whenever I hear a 90s female artist is I say, I saw her at Lilith Fair. And I've made that joke hundreds of times. And Mandy just rolls her eyes. And um, she's like, why do you even continue making that? And there's some jokes that I just make for myself. There are times when you just say, oh, prove it. I don't believe that that actually happened. There was a time when I was talking with Mandy's family. We were talking about high school uh, for some reason. And I mentioned that I had been on homecoming court in high school and they didn't believe me. This might surprise you. Maybe you're like, wow, I don't necessarily believe that either. So I had to dig up this picture uh, to prove that, yeah, I, I, I was there. And yes, the crown didn't fit my head. And I, the one size fits all was definitely not true. That's me there in the back. I also need to critique the theme, uh, My Everything 2000. I think that, yeah, let the kids plan the dances, but I think the adults should be in charge of the theme. Because nothing spells disaster more than getting a bunch of kids in a a dark gym just thinking on my everything, my everything, or whatever it is that the theme happens to be. You really should do something like, it's probably not going to last 2000, or um, don't give up your Ivy League education for him 2000. There should be some things that should just be put out there instead of kids just focusing on these, these things that just sound so eternal, because you really should just say you're in high school, just take, take a few plays off on this one. But there are moments in all of our lives when you need to prove something, you need to dig up a picture or go find an email or find a way to say, yeah, no, I, I was there or, or that happened or yeah, I, I participated in that. And that's what John is telling us right from the very beginning of 1 John. He says in 1 John Chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is a beautiful, and I would argue very profound thought. John often writes with symbolism of of light, and darkness. And he basically is saying like, you can participate in this life now. This light that we have proclaimed to you, that we have seen, you can participate in that now. But I think he begins this idea by starting at a place that we all need. Think of the words that he uses there. We've seen it. We've heard it. We touched it. What he's saying to this church, which is in a place of crisis, and they're all asking the question, basically, is this really worth giving your life to this? 
It's really miraculous that the gospel even survived the first century because of what the early Christians had to endure. And they asked the question that I think we would ask if we were going through a really intense time of persecution. Is this worth giving our lives to? This is hard. I've got, you know, friends who are, are dying because of their allegiance to Jesus. Is this worth it? And John begins this argument with very like tactile, sensory things. He's saying, we saw it. We participated with him. Jesus is real. I saw him. I was there. I participated with him. And again, it's, it's very sensory. He's trying to get the point across that this is a real reality. This is something that you all need to give your life to because I saw it and it was there and I participated. And as I read something like this, I have to be honest, I'm somebody who thinks uh, very rationally. And, and sometimes I think if I only like, had an eyewitness to Jesus, if I only perhaps was there, then I would be more faithful. Although that argument is a bit destroyed by the disciples who constantly fall away. But I think, you know, perhaps I would have been better. I would have figured it out if only I was there and I could participate in this. But as we read this, I hope that you realize that what John is saying is, I was an eyewitness. I was there. I saw him. And this argument doesn't hold as much weight 2,000 years from now as we're reading this document. But think about it then. This would have been circulated in the, the, probably the 70s, the 80s, just a short time, not the 1980s, a short time after the life and ministry of Jesus. And so if somebody is writing this saying, you know, I saw him, I, I was there, I, I participated in this. If that wasn't true, this document doesn't last till now, right? It's like, what is he even talking about? He has no idea. No, it's somebody who saw who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And so it holds weight for him to say, like, you need to understand this whole Jesus thing. It's real. And it isn't just an idea for me. It's about a real person. And you all have the ability to walk in a new way because of who this Jesus is. And the challenge for this early church, which was struggling, hanging on to their faith, is the challenge that we still have to recognize that there were eyewitnesses who would say, participate in this life because it will lead you to light and hope, not just off in some far distant reality, but right here and right now. Think about how there's so many things that can distract us from our focus on Jesus and who Jesus is. There's so many things that you can just go quickly turn to, to the right and the left. Amazon makes it so easy, just one click, you know, you can just buy something and get it to your house delivered the next day. It used to be that we'd have to watch infomercials for that kind of hope where you didn't even realize there was a problem. And then you're like, wow, they're totally right. I do have that problem. And only three monthly installments of 1999, I could get that problem solved. One that I'll always remember is the wearable towel. I don't know if you uh, remember that one, but uh, when you would get out of the shower, it's kind of a problem to wrap a towel around yourself. This is more problematic for the ladies who have, you know, long hair and all the things that they are, are doing after a shower. And so you could just put on this towel 
and wear it. And the recommendation is like you can do it right after the shower or it's, it's such a nice towel, you can even use it to go get the paper, which here's the picture of the wearable towel as uh, you go to, to get the paper. And I guess if you look that good, I would wear the wearable towel outside um, as well. So you'd have these infomercials that would promise like, this is going to solve one of your problems. And then you'd get it in the mail after four installments of 1995. And you realize that there's just one more problem you have to solve eventually. What John is arguing is this isn't just one more thing that will claim to satisfy you for a while. And it will be perhaps a little bit helpful. Allow Jesus to be the center of your life, just as we sing, allow Jesus to be a thing that you live from and you can participate in the light of God right now. So let me tell you, I, I saw him. I was there and it's worth it. John is saying, I know that life is hard right now. I know that you're struggling as you're in this, this early Christian movement, but Jesus is worth giving your life to. I think of Peter, who, as he's interacting with Jesus, as he is called to walk on the water, he's walking toward Jesus and he's really doing it. He's taking these steps in faith. And in Matthew, it tells us that as he's taking these steps in faith, it's when he looks to the wind and the waves, he begins to sink. He looks to the things that would cause him anxiety and fear. And when he takes his eyes off of Jesus, he begins to sink. I can use my imagination for so many things. I can imagine the worst case scenario, I can play out all of these things that again start small and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. What if I could use that in a positive way? There's a pastor named Kevin Roberson who says this, don't ever make a decision when you feel alone, angry, or afraid. I think that's so true. Don't ever make a decision or react because you feel alone, because you feel angry, because you feel afraid. Let those things come because they're going to come. Breathe through them. Allow yourself to be centered on the love of Christ and don't let that be the thing that motivates you. Don't let your, your fear of, of loneliness or anxiety, don't let that be the way that you then launch out into a perspective or write an email or do something, be present with Jesus and then find a way to react. If I could sum up the life and ministry of Jesus and what it has to teach all of us, it's simply just a non-anxious presence to not see something and then to react. To understand that, yeah, there's some things that you need to deal with that are hard, but don't react out of fear or anxiety, let the love of Christ be the center of your decisions. And you can participate in the life and love of God. 
I think this is a message that we all need to hear. And if you're somebody who isn't sure about faith, I totally understand. And I'm glad that you're participating and you're with us this morning. If you're somebody who's still trying to figure out who this Jesus is, I'd love to interact with you. You can email me, Brian with a Y at Glendale.church. I'd love to connect with you and have conversation about that. This is something that new people to faith need to think about. Like, do you believe what John is saying here? But perhaps just as importantly, people who've been around church forever need to think about this. Are you acting like Jesus is real? Are you living in such a way that you're allowing the love of Christ to motivate you? Are you holding grudges, being angry and bitter towards people? Are you being generous with how you use your time, with how you use your money? Are you motivated by the love of Christ? This is a question that people need to answer as they first are thinking about becoming a Christian, but it's a question that we need to ask ourselves as Christians every single day. And what if Jesus was here with me right now? I probably would act a whole lot differently, right? I would behave differently. I would love people differently. I would give people the benefit of the doubt. If Jesus was right here with me, there'd be certain things that I wouldn't say. There'd be certain things that I would say. There'd be certain things I would do. There'd be certain things I wouldn't do. And there's times in my life and my faith journey where I can say, man, I wish I had a witness, an eyewitness account. And John says, sorry, like that excuse isn't valid anymore because here I am, I'm telling you. And again, it feels different 2000 years later, but this was a document that was circulated when people could have disproven it and said, no, this guy didn't see that. But it's still with us today to remind us all of the importance of understanding more deeply the reality of Jesus, what does that mean for you? What would it change about your life if Jesus was real? What would it change about tomorrow? What would it change about when this live stream was over? If you truly believed that this whole thing it's real. I think of Martin Luther King, whose life we will celebrate and remember tomorrow. And with the racial injustice that we've had to struggle with over this last year, it's very meaningful to contemplate and think about his legacy. Think about all that he was able to accomplish and the countless others who were part of that movement. And that work is definitely still not done. I think about Rosa Parks and the resolve and resolute way that she said, no, I'm just not getting up today. The way that they lived their lives and the inspiring things that they did for our world. And we continue to try to carry that torch in the way that we live and love people as well. But I imagine someone like Martin Luther King getting upset about something that somebody tweeted at them, at him. 
or Rosa Parks getting upset because she didn't get enough love on an Instagram birthday post. There's so much stuff that we allow ourselves to be swayed by or think about today that throw us off course of just simply who it is that we are called to be. And we see men and women of faith throughout history that inspire us. And what I think as we think about the way that they inspire us, it's about them responding to the reality of Jesus as an ever-present reality. And even as they were afraid and as they were nervous, as they dealt with difficult things, they continued to push for, imagine, and act on a better future. And they were resolute about that. And they didn't allow all this other stuff, all the wind and the waves to stop them from participating in that vision in the here and now. I couldn't help but think of the song Imagine that was written by John Lennon. And I went to our, hold on to that quote just a minute. We don't need that quite yet. Um, Sorry, Um, thank you. But I went to our resident Beatles historian, Abby Gibson, for information on this. And she's leading the chat today. So Abby, just go ahead, live correct me if you, if you need to. Um, uh, she gave me, gave me a, some great information uh, about this song. But as you think about the Beatles, perhaps you're a little bit older than me and you heard anti-Beatles sermons uh, back in the day. There was a lot of fear and anxiety as there always is around you know, this, this new music and specifically around the Beatles because they said that they were bigger and more popular than Jesus, which was uh, not received too well, especially in the American South. And so people were very anxious about this, this new band and the things that they were putting out there. And the song Imagine, specifically is one that if you're just doing a surface level view of it can think come come across as, as very anti-religious and in some ways I believe that it is but as I think about the anti-religious nature of that song I think about how anti-religious Jesus was too how the people who were the most religious Jesus had the most problem with and that doesn't mean that you don't practice your faith. Of course you practice your faith. But I think Jesus would say to all of us, it's about relationship and not this like formal structure of religion that doesn't actually impact your life. The opening words of imagine, imagine that there's no heaven and no hell. And I think sometimes that's a threatening message to Christians, but it shouldn't be. Because sometimes when we hear that, we go, imagine no heaven or, or no hell. And then you're like, man, all I'm living for is to get to heaven one day. If that's, the, if that's what you're doing, then you're doing it wrong. The way that we are called to live isn't like just to avoid punishment one day. It's to more deeply interact with who God is and who Jesus is right here and right now. I'm not saying that this uh, should be a new worship song for us by any means. But I do think there's some things in there that would help all of us. And in fact, John Lennon said about this song, he said, the concept of positive prayer, if you can imagine a world at peace with no denominations of religion, not without religion, but without this, my God is bigger than your God thing, then this vision it could be true. Imagine if 
we could recognize that the things we do, the things we think about, the things that we participate in, it all makes a world. And as we think about our faith and what it means off in the future, may we recognize that it's about participating more and more with the life of God now. It's about thinking that literally that Jesus is right next to us. And we have Jesus' spirit and presence with us in the world, which Jesus himself said was even better than that. But it might be helpful for you to imagine that buddy Jesus was with you. That sometimes he's going to correct you. That sometimes he's going to say, hey, you can't really hold that grudge anymore. You can't participate in that anymore. You can't do the more acceptable sins like gossip. Like you can't do that one anymore. Because I'm here. And John is saying, yeah, Jesus is real. And what Jesus has done, it can make an unbelievable difference in your life. It's been said about Christians, and may it never be said of of you or me or of our church, that sometimes they're so heavenly minded that they're not any earthly good. Imagine a world where we were living not just for like religious duty, but that we were motivated by this peace and this love that we were deeply convicted that Jesus was real and it changed how we thought about everything. John Lennon himself was raised in the Anglican church and he met Paul at a church event. Thanks, Abby. It's a footnote on that. And at times, I would say he still reflected this Christian value, this upbringing that he had. And sometimes these ideas that at first can seem anti-Christian, when we really think about them, they help us to recognize that what if we could have a deeper imagination for the good that God can do in the world? that it would help us to connect with the light of the world that can still be seen. So John writes to people who are in this struggle as they are wondering, like, is this whole faith thing really worth it? He says, I saw him. I heard him. I was there. And yes, you can participate in the light and love of God right now. So I want you to just think about this simple question this week. What would you do if Jesus is real? And I want you to think about that. Perhaps that means considering baptism that you need to get baptized to say, yeah, I'm giving my life to Jesus' spirit and presence, but if you've been baptized, if you've been at this for a long time, you need to hear this just as much as I do and that a new convert does. What would you do if Jesus is real? Because that should stop all of us in our tracks and help us to think about doing earthly good in the world right now. So what would you do? And I'd love for you to continue to Think about that question this week and come up with one practical answer. You don't have to share it with me, 
but do something about it. If Jesus is real, then do something about it. Because if you can participate in the light of God right now and you aren't doing it, then what's your excuse? What would you do if Jesus is real?